Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 66, we disclose which network BN Sports has filed a complaint against, how Fox are trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the soccer industry, why Liverpool and Manchester City fans better start looking uh, for some alternate plans for the Champions League, and news about a potential new women's soccer league. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. We're going to attempt to uh, pull you out of this uh, international break, kind of uh, frigid zone, with some uh, entertaining and uh, hopefully some thought-provoking analysis about what we've been watching this past week, as well as some of the latest news from the soccer media industry. So, Kartik, let's start off by going through uh, what you've been watching. I only watched one sporting event this entire week, uh, which was the uh, well. That's that's incorrect. I mean, on Thursday I watched uh, the NCAA tournament, and uh, Miami was eliminated by uh, Loyola Chicago. I haven't watched anything since then from the NCAA tournament. Only uh, football match I watched all weekend was the Huddersfield Palace game, which was a cracking match. It was an open game. Uh, partly because uh, Palace scored early. They had Wilf Zaha back, which is so important uh, for them. Uh, Andros Townsend, who, who got back from injury himself very recently, in fact, half that team has gotten back from injury recently, played very well. Uh, I thought um, Huddersfield played decently in their build-up play, their ability to string together passes. But Alex Pritchard is a player I, I rate highly and hasn't made quite the impact at Huddersfield I thought he would when he came over from Norwich. But he had some nice moves, although he got pulled off around minute 60. And uh, it was a it was an interesting match. So I watched that. And then I did watch um, Goal Zone, which featured a 12-minute, the full 12-minute uncut rant from Jose Mourinho, which uh, – uh, ended up consuming most of my thoughts for the rest of the weekend, to be honest with you. Uh, I, we, we complain about Jose, but uh, and I complain about him more than just about anyone, but you wonder what we would do without him. Yeah, it would make things a little bit less interesting, but uh, he does it to himself, though. Uh, this Kartik, I thought, was just a, a really strange rant, uh, kind of almost trying to bring Manchester United down, the club, the fans, the industry, the Premier League, to say that... Manchester United is, is, is not really, uh, shouldn't be ranked that highly, or the, the expectations should be lowered uh, considerably. And he went and, through the, his, yeah. the history of, of kind of what, what they've done in, in previous seasons in the Champions League. I also found it disingenuous because this is a man who for 15 years has used his command of the English language to weaponize words. And he, during this rant, on multiple occasions, 
said, well, I don't know what the word is in English. I don't know how to describe it in English. Uh, Trying try to uh, hide from the fact that he, his command of the language, we know he, he was a translator uh, for Servavi, for among others. Uh, his command of the English language has been part of his uh, persona. So, uh, again, you know, he, he's trying to take shots at the club of Manchester United, talking about heritage being the last five years, which it's not, or last whatever time period he was using, five, seven years, uh, which it's not. And and uh, and then essentially uh, saying that all of the players he inherited, which were many of them are still in his team. Many of them uh, were uh bought for, 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 for massive fees. A few of them are holdovers from Sir Alex, like Ashley Young, uh, are not, uh, are, are not at the level of the Manchester city players. It was, it was bizarre. Well, it was bizarre too. I mean, I, I'm glad you picked up on the, um, the English part of it because I know that, I mean, we've heard so many interviews from him in the past, but his English is usually a lot better than that. It was yes. almost as if like he, on purpose kind of played up the, the Portuguese side of things and I don't know it was really strange it was really, yeah as, as if as if he's been listening to the, uh, to Carlos Carvajal from Swansea uh, with um, his kind of broken English uh, but but Jose's English is much better than that which is really strange the, the way it came out I don't know if it just was I don't know who knows what no, no, I felt like uh, Jose and and um his fellow, well, his compatriot, Andre de las Boas, they didn't quite get the slack some other foreign managers did, get cut the slack mm-hmm. that some other foreign managers did because they were so had such great command of the English language. Right. De las Boas, similar thing. It was bizarre. You're absolutely right. He tried to dial back and, and, and act as if uh, he maybe he feels like he'll get the kid glove treatment that Carvajal is getting. He feels Carvajal is probably getting. He feels that someone like Antonio Conte has gotten at times. And certainly Manuel Pellegrini, who, who struggled in English and, and uh, Roberto Mancini, those sorts of managers, since he's talking specifically about Manchester City, uh, Pep doesn't struggle with his English. So right. uh, he can't hide behind that one. But I, I think that might have been what he was trying to pull because I I've never heard him um, even question the, 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 the use of terminology before in the English language. And again, he has had such a great command of the language, which has been part of the reason his persona has developed. He's weaponized words in the English language because he knows the language so well. Yeah, I think he's, he's gone at the end of the season, Kartik. I, I Whether it's uh, PSG, uh, whether it's after this World Cup, seeing what jobs become available on a national level um, and then using that as leverage to, to get, whether it's the PSG job or, or maybe Real Madrid if, um, if uh, Zidane uh, doesn't win the Champions League. But uh, it, I think his days are numbered. And I, I thought, for a, I'm not a Manchester United fan, but if I was an, a Manchester United fan listening to this interview, it seemed like a slap in the face. Yeah, it absolutely did. Um the uh, rest of my week viewing has been the ESPN FC show where I have to say Dan Thomas has done an outstanding job of trying to create, generate conversation points. Um, he's even, you know, kind of said it on Twitter. Hey, what do you want us to talk about? Because um, it's an international break. And quite frankly, there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> and so the topics of Mourinho and of um, Wenger have resurfaced and then, um, Essentially, uh, the, the the crew of Nickel Moreno and uh, and Burley, the, the the crew of analysts have, have been asked to, you know, what's your biggest disappointment of the season in the five major European leagues? Uh, who's been the best player? Those sorts of questions, because 
and I think we're going to struggle through it today also in our show, there's um, it just seems so ill-timed. And it's not just us saying it now. It's become becoming more of a mainstream thought, Chris, that this uh, this break is particularly poorly timed. Well, this one should be interesting, Kartik, uh, because there's so many glamour matches scheduled. So you've got, uh, I think, Germany-Brazil, um, Spain against Germany, England-Italy, Russia-Brazil. I mean, I mean, I mean, all the teams are heading to Europe for these really high glamour, high profile uh, friendlies. Now, what the matches are, you mean, whether it's kind of a, a lot of youth players coming through the system and it's more of a, I mean, it, on paper, it should be a great friendly, but then ends up being kind of disappointing or very, very uh, lax or, or these coaches just trying out dis- different systems, different formations, different players. We'll have to wait and see, but... Um, this podcast will be fine. Next week's podcast, we might not have a lot to talk about, right, but this, right. one, this one we will, I think. So some of the things I caught, uh, just of, of, I won't go through everything, but some of the things I caught of interest was um, on last week's uh, Europa League match, the Arsenal-Milan match, um, this was something new that uh, Alexi Lalas did uh, on Twitter before the match, but he did some live video from the, the office, um, the studio in Los Angeles with him and Keith Costigan. And uh, they had the, the video like, kind of uh, pointing at them and, and they kind of talked through what they do uh, pre-match uh, to prepare to do commentary uh, off the tube or off the monitor. And that was interesting. Uh, they answered questions, uh, nothing, you mean, no, no, no uh, revelations for any of the listeners, but it was interesting to kind of get an inside uh, perspective on, on what's hap- what happens behind the scenes. And that's something that happens uh, far too uh, uh, infrequently, uh, on the weekend, uh, Swansea Spurs and the FA Cup. I watched that one. Huddersfield Palace, uh, like you mentioned, uh, the Stoke Everton match. I watched the second half of that, and then uh, I watched uh, Fenerbahce against Galatasaray in the uh, Istanbul derby that was live on BN Sports on Saturday. Uh, commentators were Phil Shane and Matteo Bonetti. It was a great match atmosphere. Uh, it was great that this match was live on uh, U.S. television. It's been so long since uh, it has been on um, live television in the U.S. But it was a disappointing result, though. It was a nil-nil game. Um, but still, uh, hopefully, in the future, hopefully, we'll have more of these uh, these big Turkish matches on, on television. Uh, I did catch the highlights of Liverpool against Watford. Um, I didn't watch a match live. Again, I have, have my kids playing soccer. But um, uh, Mo Salah, oh my. I mean, this was, was absolutely incredible. Uh, and all the comparisons yeah. that came out after this match about um, uh, Salah and Messi. I mean, the, the disappointing thing for me for Salah was just in that game against Man United recently where he was practically invisible. So... Uh, still a lot to be to, for him to prove on these big matches, but uh, I mean Watford's not the greatest by any means. But but, uh, but he scored. But in fairness, because people get very defensive of any mention of Messi or any mention of these sorts of comparisons, Salah has now scored. If you include okay, uh, one of the goals in this this match was was probably lucky, but the other three were really solid. School for goals, two of them were brilliant, uh, and. You add the the other goals he scored since the turn of the year, the the new year, since January 1st. I think he's probably scored more um, kind of breathtaking goals 
than any other player in a major European league, including Messi. So um, he's not just scoring goals. He's, he's showing incredible um, vision. He's showing great touch, uh, great creativity uh, and ability in one-on-one -on -one situations uh, to, to, to make the defenders miss and miss, make the keeper uh, uh, guess wrong. Uh, he, he, he's got it all right now. Yeah, yeah, I love him. I mean, I mean, watching him. I mean, hopefully Egypt will do well in the World Cup this summer, and and that's and that's another reason to watch the yeah. World Cup is to yeah. watch a player like this, and hopefully he'll shine on, on the international stage. But uh, yeah, a really exciting um, player, and it's really helping. I'm sure uh, the Premier League in terms of uh, viewers wanting to watch someone like this, even if they're not a Liverpool fan. And for Liverpool, I mean, ho hoping for, on their side, uh, I'm sure they're hoping that they're uh, winning new fans based on this one player alone. So, uh, also watched, this is something I haven't done in a long time, watched uh, some Portuguese soccer. So I watched uh, Porto against uh, Boa Vista on Saturday on Goal TV. Uh, commentary by Lindsay Dean, uh, who we know from back in the days of Goal TV with uh, Phil Shane and uh, Ray Hudson. But uh, this one was interesting in that uh, there was a good use of VAR. Um, there was a penalty kick late in the game and we've seen this happen quite often, actually, when somebody come, coming up to take the penalty, they put down their, their foot, kind of the planting uh, foot, and that slips at the same time that they're hitting the ball with their right foot. So what happened is it was a double touch. So the, yeah. the ball went in the back of the net, uh, referee blew his whistle for, for a goal, a signal for a goal, and then VAR called it back, VAR, and the referee went to, to review the VAR and saw that it was a double touch and disallowed the penalty and player resumed. And it happened really quickly, uh, probably within a, a minute or a minute and a half. Uh, it was seamless, really. And it was a fair, fair call. And um, Porto goes on to win the game 2-0 and leapfrogged ben, uh, Benfica on Saturday into, mm. back into first place in the Premier uh, uh, League. So uh, it was entertaining. I watched that. Uh, we're going to get Southampton to watch that on Sunday. I think it was Sunday. And um, Wigan, I thought, was much the better team in the first half. And uh, probably the scoreline probably reflect, doesn't reflect um, how close this game was uh, between those two teams. And then also watched uh, Cologne against uh, Leverkusen. I, I should mention I, wa I did watch a, a good chunk of the Wigan-Southampton game. I just didn't watch any portion of the match where there were goals. The portion I watched from about the 20th minute of the first half to about the 55th minute uh, before I had to go, I, I think Wigan were the better side. So I, I would concur with you on that. It was John Champion and Matt Jackson, which is always a, a great commentary pairing. I uh, should also mention, Chris, I watched a number of the um, the digested uh, or, or condensed MLS matches from MLS Live. So uh, Dallas, Seattle, uh, Atlanta, and um, and Vancouver, where there was controversial red card to Kendall Watson in the first 10 minutes uh, from Vancouver, uh, and a few of the other matches I did watch. So it, it's not that I didn't watch any MLS this weekend. Uh, I just didn't watch it live. Yeah, and, and for me, it was uh, the first weekend uh, in the season that I haven't watched any Major League Soccer. Uh, there was no game on Sunday that was nationally televised. Um, there was one on Saturday, which is the NYC FC Orlando game, which we'll get into in a little bit. But all right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, so according to the New York Times, 
Uh, FIFA President Gianni Infantino will ask members of the Executive Council to approve plans for a new global women's league this week. The proposed competition would feature 16 of the women's top national teams and begin play as early as November 2019. FIFA also plans to add four regional leagues to encourage the development of women's soccer globally and to allow the best performers from these regions to, uh, a chance to win promotions in the top division in a system of promotion and relegation. This is a really exciting potential development. Now, I don't know how uh, NWSL, which is a single entity league, which also has, um, I, I, there've been some snickerings, Chris, about uh, player selections for the U.S. Women's National Team being uh, related to whether a player plays in NWSL or not. Um, and we have some players now that have returned from Europe who are now suddenly getting selected for the national team again. Uh, I don't know how this affects that, uh, but the women's sport, uh, Game is moving by leaps and bounds. Uh, a lot of coverage of women's UEFA Champions League, uh, which is at the quarterfinal stage uh, uh, this week, uh, even during this international break, men's international break. So um, I guess the U.S. either has to get with the program or, or get left behind. Yeah, it's uh, it's good news. I, I think hopefully Very this, good news. Yeah, hopefully this happens. Um, and I like the idea of pro rel between the different leagues to kind of add some – uh, competitiveness and uh, yeah, let's, let's see how how this. Uh, hopefully, it'll be it'll be approved and hopefully it'll work out. We we'll have to wait and see how uh, everything um, unfolds from there. Now, moving on, uh, Fox Sports has decided to put the UEFA Champions League first leg match between Liverpool and Manchester City on FS2. Uh, this is going to be in uh, early April, uh, while Sevilla against Bayern Munich uh, that same week will be on Facebook Live. So the matches that uh, are going to be on FS1, I think it's the Juventus against uh, Real Madrid game on the Tuesday, which is FS1. And uh, so then the Sevilla-Bayern is on F uh, Facebook that day. And then the, the day of the Liverpool-Man City game on FS2, it's going to be Barcelona against Roma on FS1. Now, Kartik, I, I, I understand what they're doing. I mean, it looks like, I mean, obviously from Fox's point of view, they're probably hoping for a Barcelona-Real Madrid final. I mean, and put that on Big Fox and get big numbers. My concern with this is that you have the Barcelona against Roma game. And no offense to Roma fans, but there's not a lot of Roma fans in the United States. Um, and it's probably going to be a very... Well, actually, Roma's playing well, but it's probably going to be a very one-sided game. Then you have the Liverpool against Manchester City game, uh, which both of those groups have large, large fan bases, Liverpool more so um, than Man City, but still, still a large fan base. And you put that game on FS2. The challenge with FS2, as we know, is that there's a lot of people that don't get FS2. Um, and then the Sevilla against Bayern Munich game, that one I have more of a concern with because what's happening is rather than put that game on FS2, uh, Fox is now putting that on Facebook Live. The reason that they're putting on Facebook Live is because Facebook is paying Fox Sports to ha have the game on Facebook. So from Fox's uh, pockets, they're generating more revenue from this as part of the deal that they have with Facebook. But to me, it hurts the growth of soccer in the United States when you have uh, games put on Facebook and you have all these people at bars, I mean, at uh, different uh, places around the, the United States who uh, either don't have Facebook or can't stream Facebook in, in a bar to show a severe Bayern Munich game, which should be a good game at, at that too. Um, so what do you think, Kartik? What are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah. Uh, 
a lot, actually. So first off, uh, it's going to complicate people for me, uh, complicate things for myself and people at my office uh, who are Liverpool fans. I'm obviously a Manchester City supporter. Maybe I want to miss this game because Manchester City has a horrid record at Anfield, uh, even after the takeover. And and I don't expect Manchester City to get through this two legs, but um, still want to see it, obviously. It's a a Champions League quarterfinal, and uh, we don't have FS2 at the office. So uh, that's a complication, I think, not just for us, but for people all over the country. Um, in terms of uh, uh, the Bayern Sevilla match being bumped to Facebook, that's that's just a pity. Uh, we know why they're doing it. You, you've outlined it, but I think it it going into a World Cup, which Fox is broadcasting, where a number of the players who play for Bayern are going to be prominent figures, and then you've got uh, in Benega uh, with. Uh, uh, Sevilla, a prominent player, and maybe a couple other guys with Sevilla also. Uh, you, you, you're actually kind of limiting your ability to advertise your product that's coming up over the summer. So I don't understand that decision. Uh, the Roma Barcelona, uh, I guess they want to they want to highlight Barcelona. I, I get that, but there there is a larger fan base. Uh, arguably, okay. So this is where we get into casuals versus hardcores, Chris. There are more hardcore um, Liverpool supporters in this country than Barcelona supporters, but there are more casual Barcelona fans everywhere, right? Uh, people who will just tune in from the random Barcelona game. So Fox, we know, has a strategy based around casuals versus some other networks that broadcast soccer in this uh, country who take a different perspective. So that probably explains that decision. Uh, thankfully, they're showing Real Madrid and Juventus the best of the ties, of the four ties. Uh, in the uh, uh, At least they're showing the first leg on FS1. Let's hope the second leg is not on FS2 of that. I, I, uh, I worry about that. Yeah, I think part of it, though, too, Kartik, is that nine times out of ten in the past, I would say that Fox would have put Liverpool Man City on FS1. Um, historically speaking, they've always put the Premier League uh, matches, in, in, the Pre- Champions League matches involving Premier League teams on FS1. And actually, I've criticized them for that in the past before, too, because there's been other matches that have been on FS2 that was uh, more of an interesting match uh, in, a, in a Premier League one uh, with Premier League sides. Uh, anyway, but anyway, that, that, what I think that they're doing there, Kartik, actually, is they're focusing on the World Cup. They were saying, okay, right, we've got Ronaldo and Messi as two of our main people that we're marketing uh, to promote the World Cup. So let's have uh, Messi and Barcelona on on FS1 as well as Ronaldo and Real Madrid on FS1. And that's a perfect segue to talk about the World Cup and how you can watch these stars on Fox. Even even though Alexi Lawless has said on numerous occasions he's really excited to watch Mo Salah. In the World Cup, um, yeah. since we were going back to that topic, we talked about it in the first segment. So obviously, maybe they're not listening to their own broadcast talent. I, I'm sure the broadcast talent, unfortunately, isn't involved in this decision making process. The decision making process is made at a higher level. But I just find that ironic because Lawless, and I agree with him, has said on repeated occasions that that might be the player he's most excited to watch this summer is is Mo Salah. And I'm not convinced that the Barcelona against Roma number, the viewing number for that would be greater than Liverpool Man City. I'd have to go back into the numbers, but um, the Barcelona number would be big, of course. Roma number would be uh, very, very small. And then the Liverpool Man City uh, numbers, both of those would be strong too. So, um, so I don't think it's a numbers thing. I think it's more about marketing and promoting and them just, just pushing the World Cup coverage. But um, 
Anyway, so if you're a listener who is a Liverpool or Man City fan or a fan of soccer and you want to make sure you watch that match, uh, definitely take that into considera- consideration that that's going to be on FS2 and uh, make your plans before the first week, week of April when that match kicks off. All right, Kazakh, let's move on to uh, so, uh, some other news. Yeah, Amazon has announced that their Fly on the Wall Manchester City documentary won't be released until later this year and will be entitled All or North Nothing Manchester City. Um, be similar in scope to the Juventus first team documentary, which Netflix did a different thing with. They decided to release half the series uh, at the midway point of the season during the winter break. And then they're going to release the second half of the series after the season. All right, then moving on. Um, according to a Fox Sports executive VP of marketing, so one of the chief uh, marketing uh, executives, uh, the U.S. failing to qualify for the World Cup did not alter their marketing plans for the event. He, uh, he's quoted in multi-channel news. He says, the U.S. team would have been a nice additive, a bit of, mar- our, a bit of our marketing plan that obviously goes away and was never the lead part of our strategy, he said. <laughs> The nature of the World Cup is that you have these incredibly global superstars like Ronaldo, Messi, and Neymar, and global brand-named teams like Germany, France, England, and Brazil. That's that's really what has traditionally driven World Cup interest and audiences in the United States, much more so than the U.S. team, which typically has not been a threat to win the World Cup. So, Kartik, I, I heard you chuckle. I'm chuckling to myself. But uh, uh, yeah, when he says that uh, the U.S. has uh, typically not been a threat to win the World Cup, that's true. I mean, the last, what, 2014 and 2010 World Cups, uh, they reached the round of 16. Um, yeah. but, but for him to position this, to spin it, really, as in that, um, that uh, Fox wasn't planning on having the U.S. be the main focus of their marketing plan anyway, um, and that they're going to focus on, I mean, the Messi's, Ronaldo's, and Neymar's, uh, which is convenient because that's the marketing plan, <clears throat> and, and also global brand names such as uh, Germany, France, England, and Brazil. Uh, t- to me, this is this is BS, Kartik. What do you think? Yeah, first off, uh, I think uh, it's funny he mentions England. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, first off, the interest in the World Cup in the latter stages of the World Cup for ESPN in the last uh, uh, three cycles, I would say six, 10 and 14, have been largely driven by casuals that started watching the U.S. because of the uh, promotion around the U.S., particularly in 2006. Then in 2010, I think ESPN had a multifaceted strategy. One track was to promote Team USA and the U.S., but another track was to promote this is kind of um, a comparable event to, to, to the Olympics, um, but not build it around individuals. They never did that. Okay, yeah, Messi is a is a, everyone knows Messi, everyone knows Ronaldo, but they their marketing was very different about nations, about uh, unity, the world coming together every four years. Um, Fox's strategy seems entirely different, and it's disingenuous for Fox to say the U.S. wasn't part of their strategy because their entire soccer, their entire the entire way they cover this sport is about uh, propagandizing and promoting uh, the American angles to everything, well, to every single thing they do. Well, well, that's well, that's the thing that made me chuckle when I read the quotes when I, when I saw it originally was that I'm thinking, okay, from the, the U.S. women's side, I mean, that was 
Rara USA all the way through. And, and the record numbers they got from the U.S. Uh, winning, well, from the Women's World Cup was because of their promotion of the United States. And they were lucky that the U.S. women's team did so well, which was great, and went all the way to win it. And then also, even in the last two World Cups uh, on the men's side, most of those large numbers were driven by the success and hope of the, the United States team. So 2010, you look, you look back and go, they were one goal away from reaching the quarterfinals. I mean, when they lost uh, to Ghana in the 2014 World Cup. They oh, were, and they won their group, by the way, 2010. Right. And they were, in 2014, they were one goal away from going to penalty kicks. Uh, and then with uh, penalty kicks, you mean, it's, it's, a, it's a Russian roulette. You never know that they could have gone into the, um, the quarterfinals on that one. And then ultimately, they lost to Belgium in that round, that round of 16 game. But those numbers from ESPN were driven largely by the United States' success. So to have the U.S. not in the tournament is going ha- to have a huge impact on the numbers. And for Fox to spin it, that uh, the focus is not really on the U.S. anyway. We were planning on just doing this... Uh, I mean, this, this kind of uh, taking all 32 teams uh, equally and, and covering them that way. And then talking about brand name teams like Germany, France, England, and Brazil. It, it's total BS. Yeah, in 2010, ESPN had England and the U.S., uh, the first match there, the first set of matches. On a Saturday afternoon, it drove the narrative for the entire tournament. The U.S. gets a draw in that match. They end up winning the group. Uh, It hooked people. And then those people stayed with the tournament after the U.S. was eliminated by Ghana uh, in in the round of 16. In 2014, similarly, the U.S., the first game was on a weekday against Ghana. They won that match, uh, but then had a record number for the Saturday match against Portugal, where they blew a late lead, but it was entertaining, it was exciting, it was Cristiano Ronaldo against the U.S. The U.S. ultimately got a result and got through that group, even though there was heartbreak at the end of that match. That drove uh, a lot of the excitement. And I have to, we have to stress again, the U.S. may not have been a threat to win the tournaments, but they made the knockout stages of both of the, of the last two World Cups, which I think really helped sustain uh, some sort of interest in um, in the competition. It, it's going to be very difficult for them. Secondly, they seem to be wanting to avoid the entire conversation about Russia. I saw Rob Stone's comments uh, to uh, announcing about uh, talking, highlighting the positives of Russia. Uh, England is mentioned in this quote. Um, that is not a story that's going to go away anytime soon. Look, uh, there is a lot of internal debate in England. Uh, we can discuss this on another pod, but a uh, lot of um, uh, angst about the English team going to Russia for a World Cup and the potential uh, propaganda that it, it uh, gives Putin and, and his regime in Russia. Boris Johnson, the foreign secretary, and, and, as well as a number of MPs have uh, expressed their concerns about the World Cup uh, now becoming an event for uh, propaganda for Putin. So uh, Fox wants to avoid that topic, yet embrace England as one of the um, the leading teams, brand name teams, as they call it, in, in this competition. Uh, they're they're going to come across as being a little silly, I think. I mean, that's the thing with ESPN is that I can picture that if this was ESPN that still had the rights to the World Cup, 
uh, them d- during the international break, and they're talking about ESPN FC, trying to figure out what, what topics to talk about. I can see Bob Lee having a special, having a kind of a, a yeah. one-hour special that talks about uh, Russia, all the issues. Um, I mean, everything from the, from the, the nerve gas uh, spy incident that's happening right now in England and what type of impact that's going to have on, on the World Cup this summer, whether England should pull out. Uh, having, say, uh, Gab McCarty, kind of a live video uh, uh, satellite transmission, having Gab McCarty talk about it, talking about it, uh, I mean, f- focusing on the topic, not not hiding away from they, it. They'd have Jeremy Schaap maybe trying to talk to Boris Johnson or talk to someone on the Russian side, Putin, you know, some of the political leaders. Uh, I, I don't know that we're going to get this from, uh, from Fox. Look, uh, I mean, the news division associated with Fox has its own opinions about Russia, if you, if you ever watch them. So, um, and uh, everything's fine there, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it, may, it may even end up trivializing some aspects of, of very serious uh, news gathering and journalism that would go on around the World Cup. And uh, I, you just go back to 2016. You don't have to go that, that far back to, to Euro 2016. If Fox were covering that event, would they have had the capabilities to cover uh, the hooliganism, which involved Russian fans and English fans, right, and Russian uh, organized Russian hooligans, and some of the other issues, the Croatian uh, supporters, uh, the, 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 the match violence, the, the protests, the strikes, the public sector strikes in France, would they have had the capability to e- even do um, partial justice to those storylines? And uh, maybe we should withhold judgment, but I'm, I'm pretty negative. I'm pretty pessimistic about this. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So so I think the, the closest that Fox will get to this is uh, Grant Wall. And I, I can see Grant Wall kind of talking about what's happening in some, some city in Russia and about how there was some violence that broke out. But it's not going to be your really thought-provoking, very deep analysis, really investigative reporting, finding out exactly what's happening, kind of uh, feet on the, on the street. So um, it's one to keep an eye out for, but I think as things unfold, um, it's something that um, Fox can't hide away from this. And, and they don't have right now, they don't have the people in place to really cover this um, in great detail and, and kind of fairly. And, and uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not optimistic, though. I, I think that right. there's, uh, there, there's probably going to be an effort to whitewash this stuff, which uh, you could say, well, it's because they're a FIFA rights holder. Well, no, ESPN didn't whitewash this stuff ever uh, that I can remember, maybe years ago. But in the most recent uh, uh, tournaments, be it the Euros, uh, which is under a UEFA deal or the World Cup under a few. Yeah, I mean, Brazil, they, they, they really went, went in hard in terms of yeah. I mean, saying, OK, here's what's happening in Brazil. I mean, these stadiums that have been built and then just down the road, it's like all of this, I mean, poverty, crime, et cetera. They, they didn't hold back at all. That's correct. There, however, there are people who said, oh, it's because they've lost the, the, the FIFA contract and lost the rights that they're doing that. But that's correct. They, they, they have, they're they the UEFA rights holder. Through, they have 2020 as well. And they were on the ground, very cutting edge reporting, using the um, the resources of ABC News also and their Paris Bureau uh, with the Euro 2016. And again, um, Fox is just equipped differently. And, and uh, that's that's OK. But they're also, to, from my perspective, shying away. Uh, I, I was kind of, I was put out if if uh, uh, your listeners aren't picking up on this on Rob Stone's comments that, oh, we're going to highlight the positive stories about Russia. There's a lot, you know, we're we're going to we're going to we're going to paint that picture. OK, well, that's uh, that that comes across as very propaganda-ish. You can't shy away from the political climate we're in current. 
Well, th- th- this is the show to talk about stuff like this, Kartik. So, and and also even to Fox's, they've put a lot of focus on their National Geographic specials that that, that they're going to be doing. Um, in some interviews, I've heard recently that um, a lot of the National Geographic people uh, have no knowledge or uh, no interest in soccer, which is which is fine. So they're kind of creating different uh, different segments focused on Russian culture. Um, and again, sounds like wildlife, perhaps sound like puff pieces, but kind of profile pieces about Russia. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not interested in, in that stuff. I mean, I can just ch- turn on National Geographic and watch things like that if I'm interested in that. What I want to find out is is kind of more the ESPN side of things as far as what's really happening in Russia. If, if they're going to go down that path, what's the reality rather than kind of this fairy tale? Um, one more thing, Kartik, too, is that... Um, well, actually, let's, let's move on to, to the, the, the last uh, news uh, item uh, for this segment. Yeah, so BN Sports has filed a carriage complaint against Comcast for alleged discrimination. Uh, the statement from BN Sports USA reads, quote, due to a discriminatory and patently unfair renewal proposal from Comcast, BN Sports has been forced to take legal action and file a carriage complaint, the ca- a carriage complaint. Comcast has ignored its obligations as vertically as a vertically integrated network in favor of their own soccer content and other sports related programming to the detriment of BN uh, services and audiences and the audiences we serve. Comcast has two wholly owned networks that carry sports programming, NBC Sports and NBC Universo. Uh, NBC Sports Network is what they're referring to. Uh, We have cited a few clear examples of Comcast discriminatory behavior in favor of these affiliates. And these examples are most of the programming is not featured in HD, which obviously is a huge disadvantage for our passionate viewers who want the best sports action viewed with the uh, best possible experience. In spite of the popularity of being sports, we are not fully distributed, but rather relegated to sec- second tiers. And uh, that point about the HD, I've heard the complaint from many uh, Comcast or Xfinity subscribers in South Florida. So uh, keep that in mind. We aren't authentic. Uh, uh, go ahead, Chris. You have- oh, no, no. I was, okay. was going to say, too, when, when I had Comcast uh, before I cut the cord, same thing for me, too. It was in HD in the beginning, but then it, it did switch to uh, SD. But uh, but yeah, but I agree with that point. Yeah, we aren't authenticated since Comcast doesn't have be in Sports Connect. Um, so th- that is a disadvantage to anyone that is a Comcast uh, subscriber uh, that wants to watch other sporting events uh, via via BN. There are roughly 6,000 hours of top quality BN sports programming that is not viewable to Comcast subscribers. Um, and then uh, and they say this is not this is unacceptable and will not stand. Our priority is and always has been to provide the most compelling program coverage and analysis to our loyal viewers. We hope Comcast will operate with the same spirit of customer centric fairness and resolve this issue quickly, unquote. So I agree with this complaint. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm sure probably a lot of our listeners do, do too, where if you do have Comcast, um, it's very, uh, you might have be in sports, but it's probably going to be an SD. Uh, or it's going to be on a kind of a, like a Latin package, um, so it's not yeah. that easy to get in HD. And um, but also being Sports Connect too, that that's a big one too. They've they've never been able to when you go into <clears throat> when you go to be in Sports Connect and, and you have to log in with your cable or satellite provider or, st- or streaming provider. Uh, Comcast isn't one of those, so you, you're not able to actually access all of that uh, content, which there's a ton of games on there, a ton of programming on there that you're not able to get. 
Um, my thing with this Kartik is that while I agree with being sports, and I think they have every right to file this complaint, it sends a worrying signal to me is that they're in prob- they're in trouble, because this same complaint that you have here, FS2 could say the same thing too. I mean, a lot of uh, Comcast around the nation uh, don't have access to FS2, or if they do, it, it's in SD. Um, yes, they do have authentication to the Fox Sports Go app, but to me, this is kind of being sports saying we're in trouble. We need to get uh, better d- distribution. Our, num- our numbers aren't increasing, and yeah. we're, we're, we're in trouble. We, we, this is kind of a, almost like a not a hail mary, but it, it is. It's a warning sign that uh, being sports is uh, concerned about them not being able to get uh, increase their numbers. Yeah, there's. Um a lot of speculation on the street, buzz on the street about Bean's current uh, predicament in terms of, of increasing its its uh, its viewership, its scope, its its ability to get on other cable systems. So, yeah, and, and your point about FS2 is, is very well taken because I think if Comcast does have an agenda, which I'm not saying they do, we have these same allegations about Time Warner. Uh, when they chose not to carry some Fox channels in the past. And, and Time Warner, of course, uh, is the owner of CNN. Um, I think we're in a position where we're looking at... Um, Actually, Kartik, though, when you think about it, it's... Uh, I mean, I, I, t- to me, it's, uh, it is it is an issue. I mean, Comcast uh, owns NBC Universal, uh, which owns NBC Sports Network, which owns you know, all these uh, Universal... Uh, which also owns uh, Telemundo, so they're all part of the same family. Yeah, and I and I can see the complaint that uh, these. Uh, I mean, being sports has been around quite a long time. It's been a number of years now, and uh, they still have not been able to get on. Um, I mean, get to get being sports uh, connect authenticated and uh, not being able to get. Uh, on, on a lot of these channels uh, nationwide, so I, I see where they're coming from. It's not a fair sy- system by any means. I just think at the end of the day, it's it's a warning sign, and and that's the thing too. We've heard about that they've had cutbacks at being sports. Um, I mean, hopefully, hopefully this gets resolved. I mean, by doing this, being sports puts this out in the open. Um, but I think it's actually going to hurt them more than it's going to help them. But we'll have to wait and see on that one. Right, yeah, I, uh, my my point just was being that I think Fox has a has a greater grievance and potentially uh, a concerted grievance because I think there is a. There is a battle going on between Comcast at the corporate level and Disney and uh, 21st Century Fox at the corporate level. So uh, I, I'm not sure BN and Al Jazeera, their parent company, come into this, but certainly Fox does. Maybe that is part of the explanation for FS2 not being on all these systems. So you, you may have uncovered something there as, as we were having this conversation. Okay, let's move on to TV ratings. So um, this past weekend, there were some interesting ones here, Kartik. Um, the, the one that came had the highest rating was uh, Club Lyon, uh, Landon Donovan's team against uh, Lobos on Univision. That one had 914,000 viewers, uh, which is a huge number for two clubs that are n- uh, notoriously not, not the biggest clubs in, in uh, Mexican soccer. Uh, Chivas against Tigres uh, had 866,000. And then you had the Chivas-Seattle uh, uh, CONCACAF Champions League game on Univision Deportes um, from last week, and that one had yeah. 745,000 viewers. So some big numbers there for uh, Liga Mekis clubs and uh, Liga Mekis games, uh, except for the CONCACAF Champions League number, which is, which is a great number too. 
All right, we've got a bunch of other ones too, Kartik. Any of these uh, jump out at you as far as uh, disappointing or, or uh, exceeding your expectations? Yeah, it was a disappointing week, but it was a strange week without much Premier League. Look, the time windows didn't fit, even fit my viewing schedule, so uh, not much Premier League because of the FA Cup. Uh, Bundesliga was relegated uh, to FS2, and the big Bundesliga game, which I wanted to watch, I should have mentioned this in the first segment, was relegated to Fox Soccer Plus, that being uh, Leipzig and Bayern. So, uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that and that one interestingly. So Univision had it. Uh, Univision Deportes had it. So that one had 158,000 viewers on Univision Deportes, wow. which is a great number. Um, but just imagine if that game had been on FS1. Uh, I mean, it would have been uh, well, who knows? But it would have been a good number for that too. In, in a it might have approached 300,000, which is a lot for a Bundesliga game. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, for them, that's huge. But, that, but that's the thing, too, for this past weekend, the way that it's structured with the FA Cup games, um, it's kind of scattered through the weekend, and then you had the Premier League games, but only a few of those. It definitely hurt the kind of the flow. So if you started watching your soccer, if you're, starting, if you're used to watching it on NBCSN, you switch it on on Saturday morning and there's nothing on. And then you have to switch to the Spurs-Swansea game, which was kind of very one-sided. Uh, so that that lack of flow definitely hurt the numbers. So, for example, we had um, the Swansea Spurs game had 166,000 viewers on FS1, pretty poor there. Um, and then the Liverpool Watford game, actually, no, the Huddersfield Palace game. I have to piece this whole thing together. It was at 256,000 viewers. Uh, the Liverpool Watford game had 294,000 viewers. So all of these numbers are way below what they would normally be, and then you had um, you had some other numbers too. But the Man United uh, Brighton match uh, didn't even register uh, a large number, so we don't even know what that number was. And that was the FA Cup game, which was a late game; it was like a three forty-five game. Um, yeah. To put all this into context, though, Kartik, uh, NBC has been very quietly acquiring a lot of rugby rights. And I think they're, they're looking at rugby as in kind of the next Premier League uh, soccer opportunity or at least to try to uh, acquire that demographic profile of people that watch uh, soccer, Premier League soccer, probably are very likely to also might be interested in rugby or a different crowd that's not into soccer but would be a similar profile that would be interested in rugby. But the Ireland against England Six Nations game and this was on tape delay. It wasn't even live. On NBC on Saturday from uh, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern had uh, 674,000 viewers. And I would say that number, if, there was, if, if NBC still had Major League Soccer, uh, that that number, the rugby was much higher than w- what they would have gotten for an MLS game. Um, unless it's like LAFC against Atlanta United or something like that. But um, So to put that into context... Rugby had much greater viewing figures than uh, than all of the uh, English uh, soccer games from this past weekend. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty remarkable. And uh, again, shows the power of NBC when they promote something. They've been doing a lot of promotion of rugby recently. Exactly. All right, so let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, the first one is from NGS in Alamo City, and he sent us this tweet. He says, uh, Kartik was talking about West Ham on the latest World Soccer Talk podcast and about a club identity and community involvement and support at times being more important than profit. It was a great little segment. And I agree, Kartik. I think that was uh, 
just right in terms of, uh, I mean, we Columbus Crew is a perfect example of this too, where you're looking at, at a club that has a strong community base, a strong identity nationwide. Um, a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of soccer fans in the U.S. kind of have an affinity to Columbus and the stadium because of the U.S. men's national team, as well as being one of the um, the, the first team in the United States to have a, a soccer-specific stadium. Uh, really, kind of a, a trendsetter for Major League Soccer and everything that's happening with them. You could also look at look at West Ham too. Uh, it's different, but it, there are some similarities there. And uh, yeah, I agree that both Major League Soccer and West Ham United uh, putting profits first and then the community second. And it's coming back to haunt both of those. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and thanks for uh, the shout out NGS in Alamo City. So TC from Colorado emailed us this request. He says, uh, I always enjoy the podcast, guys, and I appreciate the information. Just try to make it shorter, maybe less review of games, as there are lots of other podcasts that do that. And uh, TC, we hear you. Uh, we, we always try to kind of shorten it up as much as possible. Uh, some weeks, um, last week's probably a good example, there's just so much soccer on, whether it's CONCACAF Champions League, regular UEFA Champions League, you mean, and then all the international uh, leagues from around the world, as well as Major League Soccer. Um, there's a lot to go through, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to kind of shorten those up as much as possible so we can get to kind of... Uh, the meat on the bone, which is a lot of these these topics, and, and also, of course, uh, everyone's feedback. And then uh, next up is uh, uh, ZZ Average Geek ZZ, or if he's from England, it probably would be ZZ Average Geek ZZ. <laughs> and he sent us this tweet. He says, "Thanks for the thanks for uh, the read on the pod, um, which is going back a, a week or two ago. Uh, this is when he was talking about." Um, artificial turfs and, and then not being all the same. And he sent us a great link to uh, an article that was on 442 about the turf that he referenced. And, and we'll include that in the show notes. But it, it is interesting. It's an interest, interesting story because uh, not all artificial turfs are the same. Um, so I learned a lot from this too in terms of uh, the different types as well as the maintenance of these turfs. Um, so when we do see a turf, an artificial turf, uh, I think I, I always kind of jump to like, ah, I hate this thing. Um, but there's different levels. Some, some, some are better than others. And just as one example, Kartik, uh, we've talked about this on the pod probably a couple of years ago. It's been a while. But uh, Swansea, Swansea Stadium, their, their turf that they use uh, does include artificial fibers in the turf. And the reason that they do that is that, of course, Swansea City plays uh, I mean, every, every week or two. Uh, but also they have a rugby team that plays on that same pitch too. So to kind of keep the pitch together as best as possible, especially with all the rain that they have in, in Wales, uh, they use artificial fibers that are, that are threaded into the grass uh, to kind of hold it together and keep it, uh, keep it lasting as, uh, as long as possible. So if you, the listener, have any questions, feedback, or comments, uh, we'd love to read them out on air. Our email address is web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can tweet us at worldsoccertalk or hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Now, Kartik, uh, I think this episode is a little bit shorter than usual, so, so TC and other listeners will be happy. Uh, Kartik, where can listeners find you on Twitter if they want to read up on your latest uh, uh, rants, raves, or, or articles, or interviews? 
Yeah, it's KKFLA737. My DMs are open, so you can DM me there. I haven't been tweeting much lately, uh, uh, trying to uh, to keep it at a minimum, it, especially when uh, it seems like you could react to every little thing. So picking my spots to tweet uh, more than I previously have. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at World Soccer Talk. So thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football.